You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I am broadcasting from the Vivid Seats Studios. Make sure you're using promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time, customers only. Still can't quite hit it, but uh, we'll get there. Today, oh today, oh today, we have got ourselves um, what feels like a bigger game than it should be. It's really, really weird. It, uh, I don't think it's me being pessimistic. I genuinely think that there is still question as to how good this team is. And a lot of it has to do with there's still question about a lot of the teams we beat and one of the teams we lost to, right? Everything is so in flux right now. I don't know who's good in the NFL. I just don't. And that includes the Green Bay Packers. Let me back that up with a prediction. It's one of those weird gut feeling kind of things, but it's it's getting kind of strong. And part of this is is not even entirely in the control of the Packers. So it's it's possible that I'm right and still end up with the wrong prediction. So let me kind of phrase it in two ways. I believe if the Green Bay Packers beat the Oakland Raiders, they are going to first first way of saying it, strongly pursue a wide receiver. I know there has been a bunch of rumors about wide receivers. First of all, I looked into it. As far as I can tell, there is one source claiming that the Packers made a call to one wide receiver, and that was Emmanuel Sanders, who I very much like and have been propping up for a while. He's on my fantasy team for a reason. Shout out to PFF for allowing me to see the future. Everyone says he's no good anymore. I simply go look at his grade and say, nope, he hasn't regressed at all. He just needs a better quarterback. They go out and get a mediocre quarterback. Manny Sanders is back to looking like a stud again. My prediction is if we win this game, they're going to ramp it up. And that may seem a little strange to some people. Like, well, why is it if they win? Why not if they lose? Because then we need more help. Because I, I think as much as a GM or a coach or whoever says they're going 100% all the time, that's obviously not true. There are some teams that are rebuilding, some teams that are tanking, some teams that are kind of in teardown mode. We heard from the Denver Broncos, in fact, that are saying they're not in teardown mode yet. What does that mean? It means things are not so bad that I need to rip this thing apart. John Gruden, when he gave away Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper for a handful of first-round picks, and I mean a big old handful, was not going all in. I don't think it was the anticipation or expectation that the Packers would be where they are right now. I don't think that Brian Gutekunst expected to be a one-loss team at this time of the year. If the Packers win this game, first of all, they're 6-1. and one. Just being 6-1, and one, even if you're not that great of a team, you've got some pretty good odds of getting in. 
I mean, stumbling into four more wins might just do it for you. And we're not even halfway through the year yet. So I'm looking at this if I'm Brian Gutekunst, and I'm, I'm already putting out feelers, right? I'm making phone calls. I'm seeing what's available, you know? And, and, and I think Gutekunst is always working the phones. He's said that, and I, I believe that, that, that that's true, right? I mean, you, you can see it when there, there's constantly all these this movement about picking up this guy, dropping this guy, this guy goes to the practice squad, this guy gets cut from the practice squad, this guy goes, right? They're always making calls, making moves, doing all kinds of stuff. But I think there tends to be a lot of high-level stuff. We just don't see it very often because it's hard to get those guys, right? It's not hard to go grab a free agent off the street. You call his agent say, all right, I'll take him. Or if you want to take a guy off somebody's practice squad or whatever, there's, there's processes in place where you can just pull the trigger. But I think Brian Gutekunst has to consider altering his plan of making this a two-year rebuild or possibly three. I don't know what he thought this would take. But you're looking at it and you're saying this defense is for real, which is a massive component when you're trying to analyze, are we a genuine Super Bowl contender? How about quarterback? I talked about this in the offseason. I, I looked at teams as far as quarterback and defense, and I don't, I don't exactly remember the results. I'll try to pull it up. I think it's in my Patreon. But essentially, you don't win a Super Bowl without either a good defense or a good quarterback. And I'm talking like top five. In, in those categories. In other words, you're not going to have a mediocre quarterback and a mediocre defense and like really good wide receivers, running back, offensive line, whatever, and, and dominate. No, that's not how that works. And primarily, it it's, tends to be defense. And so again, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to get myself in the head of Brian Gutekunst. And, and why after this week, primarily, it's twofold. One, the trade, trade deadline's coming up. So we've, we've got 10 days to get this figured out. So technically, we could wait until after the Chiefs game, but that leaves us almost no time. I mean, we would have to see if we win, and then, I, I don't know, just say I need them real bad, and then you're in a position. We, we need some time to negotiate. This is going to be our last full week to really start negotiations. And so I think the Green Bay Packers are going to wait to see what happens. If we lose to the Raiders, then there's going to be too many question marks because it's not a game we should lose. If, you know, there, there might even be certain markers in a win that make Gutekunst kind of pull his foot off the gas and say, look, best of luck. I hope Devontae comes back soon and we can rally and see what happens. But we're not, because it's a big sacrifice. And there are questions as to what do we do with the, the salary cap and this and that, which is why I actually tend to believe that we should, not saying that the Packers would, but maybe deviate from the original plan that, that Brian Gutekunst had in free agency earlier in the year when he went out and got a bunch of young guys and extended them or, or gave them essentially four-year contracts, long-term contracts, I would be much more interested in shorter-term contracts with better football players, possibly even one year, I, you know, whatever. And so the second part of my prediction is the, the part that, I, that is not necessarily even in the control of the Green Bay Packers, but I'm just going to predict if we win against the Raiders, and, and in some kind of convincing fashion, not a last-second field goal or whatever, maybe even then, I don't know. Let's just say if they win, I believe the Packers will trade for a wide receiver. That's my prediction. Again, it, it, maybe it's just not going to work in terms of what teams want for compensation, and it's just not going to make sense. But it's, it's even beyond the fact that Devontae's hurt. Even if Devontae was here, I think it would be something to consider. I think we've come to the conclusion, and I know some people are all in on Alan Lazard because in five games he had one good one. Some people will just refuse to get off the Kumaro bandwagon. Some people, I don't, I don't know if anyone's still on the Allison bandwagon. And I know there's a lot of injuries, but I mean, I'm just saying in general. MVS, there's, there's a bandwagon for him. I mean, I personally like Equinemius, who we, I think we can still see some point in the year. 
But it, it goes beyond just compensating for Devontae. What I'm talking about is a strategy that says, how do we win the Super Bowl this year? How do we just go in? And again, look at this team. We've got an offensive line that is doing a really, really good job. They're, they're not run blocking all that well, but the run game is going pretty well. And Aaron Rodgers has, has rarely ever been as clean as he's been. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a guy that's used to going down three, four times a game. He's been sacked on average about two times a game, but even that is misleading because he was sacked five times against Chicago. Since then, they gave up two sacks to Minnesota, which is crazy, zero to Denver, which is ridiculous, one sack to Philly, which is crazy, two to Dallas, which is still pretty low, and only one to Detroit. And PFF is actually giving Aaron Rodgers credit for two of those sacks, one of them against Dallas, which would drop that down to one sack uh, as a result of the offensive line. So the offensive line has been really on point. Devontae is a top-end wide receiver. Aaron Jones is running like a banshee, and even when he has a bad day, Jamal is really picking up a lot of slack there. The run game is rumbling. Then you've got this stifling defense. Do you know how many points they're giving up per game right now? 19. 19 points a game. They're eighth right now in the NFL in points allowed. That's really low. The only team that was allowed to get up into the 30s was the Philadelphia Eagles, and coincidentally, that's the team that beat the Green Bay Packers. And by coincidentally, I mean not at all. And so, again, if we beat the Oakland Raiders, we've got this really good defense with good corners and good pass rushers that has all the elements you need. We're we're trying to look at this and say, is this a genuinely capable Super Bowl contender? And then you look at it and you say, okay, let's say we beat the Oakland Raiders and we do it without Devontae. And, And if Devontae is out for an extended period, this makes even more sense. Because the fact of the matter is, if we lose him long term, we don't want to start going on a losing streak. We don't want to say, okay, let's, we're going to go down, um, you know, maybe we squeak out a win against the Raiders and then we lose to the Chiefs, Chargers, and Panthers and go down three games. We don't want to go one and four here. Everything is here for us. Let's keep winning. I know the Chiefs don't have Pat Mahomes. I know they also still scored 30 points in that game and annihilated the Denver Broncos. And I also know the Saints lost Drew Brees and they're beating everybody. I'm not looking at the Chiefs as automatic. The Chargers have a very good football team. The Panthers have a good football team. They're both struggling and have problems. But these are teams that will absolutely annihilate a team that's struggling. They'll just wake up one day and decide, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot we're a great football team. But you add in. Think how good this team is. Let's say you add an Emmanuel Sanders or even an A.J. Green. And I I think A.J. Green, I know he's hurt and there's questions about that. I still think he's a top wide receiver in the NFL. I don't think we get a chance to see it because of, you know, his offensive situation. But I, I genuinely think if, if A.J. Green came to Green Bay and was still as good as he was even just last year, I think he's potentially our number one wide receiver. I mean, technically we would have two number one wide receivers, but he would be our number one wide. I, I believe that. And maybe maybe not, because the number one is, is the one you dictate coverage to. And just based on the, the rapport between Aaron Rodgers and Devontae, maybe most defenses would still want to double up Devontae. But just think how in, in, impossible. What, what do you do when you play the Green Bay Packers? Right now, it's, it's, it's relatively simple. You just stop Devontae. And then without Devontae, it's like, well, I don't really know. Not because it's hard, but it's like, I guess just do whatever. Get a lot of pressure because these guys don't know how to get open. And if we can get to Rodgers fast enough, then the game's over. So I'd probably just load up the box and go get people. You cannot do that on a team that has Devontae Adams and Emmanuel Sanders or Devontae Adams and A.J. Green. In terms of how this would happen, I, you know, I haven't worked out all the numbers, but it's obviously impossible. First of all, the Packers would not be calling Emmanuel Sanders if it wasn't. 
But some things to keep in mind when we start talking about this, because I understand we have extensions, and I know the rumor is the Packers have no money in 2020, which is not true. The Packers currently have $25 million in cap space, and, I, and, and again, I understand we have people that need to be extended like Kenny Clark, but Kenny Clark is not getting the full sum of his average in year one. In fact, year one is usually the, the lowest paying year because so much of the money that they get is front-loaded, but it's through the, it's front-loaded but prorated. In other words, let's say we give them $18 million a year for five years, but we give them a $50 million check and spread it out throughout the year. So he's going to get a base salary of about a $1 million, and then it's going to be $10 million per year. So in other words, it's going to be about 11 It's not going to be 18 It'll be about 11 Beyond that, a massive part of this, con- this salary cap issue is Jimmy Graham, who I just cannot imagine is going to be getting any of this money next year. Getting rid of Jimmy Graham saves $8 million. On top of that, I've also talked about Corey Lindsley. I don't know 100% he's still going to be around. He probably will just because it's it's hard to just get rid of him. But we're talking about $8.5 million in savings if we do not have Corey Lindsley. He's on, the, he's on contract for $10.5 million. Personally, I'd rather draft some people. And even if we don't, I would probably rather just put Elton Jenkins at center and Lane Taylor back at guard and save that extra $8.5 million. Corey's been kind of struggling and isn't worth $10.5 million anyways. So the, mo- the money is more than there. And we've got free agents, but we've got Brian Balaga, who's going to get a short-term contract for, you know, whatever. Uh, Geronimo, big maybe. Mason Crosby's a maybe. Tremont is a probably not. Spriggs is gone. I'm sure Ryan Grant will be gone. I mean, th- there's nobody here that's a big money person. You know, Blake is probably even going to be gone. Based on what he's doing, I can't imagine us giving him a big contract. So there- there's a lot of money. Beyond that, if we look at Emmanuel Sanders right now, his contract currently is $12.9 million, but if he comes over to the Green Bay Packers, we would have to pay his base salary, not his prorated bonus. That would stay with the Denver Broncos, as well as his workout and all that other stuff. We would be paying $10.15 million, and on top of that, he would probably be getting an extension to some degree. Maybe not. Maybe it would just be a one-year rental for $10 million. But if we gave him an extension, we would probably rework the contract to maybe take a little bit of money out. And we wouldn't even necessarily need to because we technically have the money right now. Well, not quite. We, we, something would have to be reworked. But it again, this is not... The salary cap isn't fake like some people say, but there's a lot that you can do with it. And again, if it was just as simple as saying we only have about $9 million and we need $10 million so we can't get them, they wouldn't be calling about them. They're simply going to, rework, they're going to extend him, rework his contract as well as possibly move money around with some of these players, or just let's, how about this, let's just get rid of Jimmy Graham. I mean, it's a lot of dead money, but there's a lot of dead, a lot of things with Jimmy Graham on this team. I'll take the dead money over the dead weight. How's that sound? I know that's really mean and really harsh, but I mean, come on now. Enough is enough with this. It's not going anywhere. Mercedes Lewis is a better Jimmy Graham than Jimmy Graham has been. Robert Tanyan is a better Jimmy Graham than Jimmy Graham. We got Jay Sternberger coming back. I don't know what he's going to be, but I know he's cheap. Enough with this. AJ Green, by the way, um, current contract is about 15, but his base salary that we'll be paying is is a little under 12. And again, that would come with a reworked contract and um, a massive resurgence in his career. I mean, ju- just to to give you an idea, last year um, Devontae Adams was ranked as the ninth best wide receiver in football. A.J. Green was the 12th best wide receiver in football. In 2017, Devontae was 14th, A.J. was 9th. 
I mean, this automatically becomes by far the best wide receiver duo in football, especially when you consider right now, prior to Devontae going out, he was ranked as the number three receiver in football. Emmanuel Sanders, by the way, is ranked 16th in the NFL in, as a receiver. So, you know, and, and maybe that's not it. Maybe they go for something else, somebody a little cheaper. Maybe they go, you know, whatever. But I, I'm just looking at it and saying, what, what is an all-in move right now? What does that look like? What does it look like for a GM that knows the trade deadline's coming up and realizes, hey, we've got a real opportunity, but we got to do something because we got the Chiefs, we got the Chargers, and we we've got uh, the Carolina Panthers, and then we go to into a buy and coming out of the buy, we got the 49ers. I I don't want to see a four-game losing streak here. I want to go into this dominant. I want to start annihilating. I, I want to be the Patriots of the NFC. I want to leave a trail of death and destruction everywhere we go. And the Packers are in this weird place right now where they're simultaneously a very good team, but also a team that, that teams kind of lick their chops about because they're so ridiculously weak in some areas, primarily right now wide receiver or just receiver in general because the tight ends aren't even contributing all that much. Mercedes had a great day, but I don't know that he's the kind of guy that you got to super freak out about. So anyways, that's my thought. I, I think the... Um, I think we need to see, get a little bit of a better taste of what this team is, but we don't have much time. So it's going to be, this is our last determination. Um, if we stomp out the, the Raiders, then it's time to really start considering maybe instead of giving this another year, we push in hard now. The other end of this is I, I think the NFL in general is struggling. I said last year, last year was a, a, a bad year to be a good team. Really sucked for the, the Chicago Bears because there were so many really dominant teams that year. This year, it's, it's just not that way. Uh, the the Chiefs are, are, you're starting to see weakness there, plus Pat Mahomes going down, but, but he'll eventually be back. But either way, that offense is stoppable, and the defense is very, very beatable. I think they're on the downward swing. So the AFC West doesn't even really have that super dominant piece. You look at the AFC North, the Browns are kind of garbage. The Ravens are nowhere near as good as people thought when they first started the year. The Steelers are garbage. The Bengals are garbage. Um, the Texans are good, but certainly not elite. The Colts are nowhere near as good as they were last year. The Jaguars and Titans are just no good. The Titans don't even know who their quarterback is. In the AFC, the only truly dominant team that, that you would put on a pedestal is the Patriots, and, and they haven't played anybody yet. We don't even know how good they are. In the NFC, the Cowboys are nowhere near as good as they were last year. The Eagles are struggling big time. The Giants and Redskins obviously are a joke. The Rams are in complete flux. Panthers are struggling. The Bucks and the Falcons are still struggling. It really comes down to the 49ers, and really we just need to see what it takes to make them lose because I don't think they have a super elite team. They're just making the best of what they got. They've got some great components, but they shouldn't be as good as they are. So we'll have to see, but they're doing very well. The Seahawks obviously are still doing what the Seahawks do, which is winning with nothing. Um, I tend to think the Vikings are very, very for real. The Bears are dangerous, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're good. Um, I'm, I'm more scared of them now than when Mr. Trubisky comes back. That's when I'm going to realize or be really excited about, um, the bears being trash and the lions are good enough, but, but not so, so, so again, that's another aspect of this. You know, the NFC obviously is going to be harder to get through, but you get into the playoffs and match up with who that you're terrified of. Who is it you're going to look at and just say, oh, we can't beat them. There's no point in even getting in. We can't beat them. Nobody. I mean, arguably the best team in the NFC is a team we're going to be facing out of our bye, and I don't think there's anybody that says we can't beat them. Otherwise, it's the Saints. I mean, the Saints are probably that team, especially when Drew Brees comes back, but whatever. The Saints I wouldn't even put on the same tier as the Falcons when we beat them on our Super Bowl run. So there are maybe two teams that you can look at this year, and one of them 
only counts when Breeze comes back. But there's maybe two teams in this entire NFL right now that you're looking at as dominant. And again, I don't know about the Patriots for sure. So again, just another reason I'm looking at this and saying, man, this it, it might be time to just stab the gas here. But it's not going to be the end of the world to give it one more game. Make sure this is for real. And, and tell Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin that. Like, look, I, I need this to be a win. I need to see right now that this is for real, that, that this is this is going to work, that, that everything is – because, I mean, this is first-time head coach. This isn't supposed to go this way. It's not supposed to go this well. All right, the defense improving to what it is probably is unexpected, but still maybe a little bit more like, okay, I kind of can see that. But this good? I, again, sit the coaches down and say, I need to see how good. I need this to be a blowout. I need to see from you that it makes sense for me to say we're going to win a Super Bowl in 2019-2020. This year, in Miami, the Packers will hoist the Lombardi Trophy. So, again, I reiterate, this feels kind of like a big game. Not only is this a big game for the Packers, but it could be a big game for you. That, of course, depends how much cash you're willing to put down on this game. By the way, similar to what happened last week, the, um, the spread is trending for the Oakland Raiders. As of this morning, right now, the Green Bay Packers are favored by only 4.5 points. The over-under has dropped from 47 down to 46.5. Once again, the total is dropping, and the spread is getting closer and closer to even, because for some reason... As things get closer, the hype for the Green Bay Packers tends to dwindle down. Now, do with that what you will, but understand that these are changing by the minute, and if you want to get in on it, you better make it quick. Also, we were talking about the Super Bowl. You can pay for the Green Bay Packers to win the Super Bowl. The odds for the Packers right now are plus 1,000. 1,000. Oh, speaking of, the odds just changed as I'm sitting here. The Green Bay Packers are now favorited by five points. I'm telling you, man, these things are changing as I'm sitting here. You miss out on your opportunity, gall darn it. But make sure you don't miss out on this next opportunity because we've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you a great offer. Sign up with MyBookie.ag, use promo code OVERTIME, and they'll match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME, and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. You know what else is great about this Sunday? The opportunity for you to actually be there. On this last Monday, I was sitting at home getting ready for the game when I got a text message from a friend with a spare ticket. There's nothing wrong with acting spur of the moment. But if you're going to go, I would just encourage you to make sure that you're using the top source for tickets for any event that you're looking to go to. With Vivid Seats, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all within the Vivid Seats mobile app. Also, if you go kind of regularly, Vivid Seats is pretty awesome because they've got a new loyalty program that actually allows you to build up credit of Vivid Seats rewards. So head over to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats royalty reward program. Every single purchase is backed with a 100% buyer guarantee. You don't have to worry about getting scammed. Whether it's a Packer game, going to a concert, whatever it is you've got coming up, just make sure you're using Vivid Seats. So download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Also, when it comes time to buy, make sure you enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive up to a $100 discount. All right, let's talk a little bit of strategy. Now that I got my tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theories out of the way, um, how are we going to beat the Oakland Raiders? 
Actually, you know what? Completely forgot. This jersey giveaway, by the way, that I've been talking about. Follow Packernet Podcast on Instagram. Um, and you've got an opportunity to win one of three signed jerseys coming with certificates of authenticity. Two things on that. Number one, a lot of you have been sending a lot of pictures over. I really appreciate that. Any pictures, any video if you got of the family or the Packers or anything like that that you want to share, I'd love to be able to put that on our Instagram. But beyond that, we've come up with a number for the first jersey giveaway, and that's going to be 300 followers. We're already up to 220. We got there in a matter of just a couple days. So um, make sure you get in there really quickly because that first one, which is probably going to be the one that you want, is going to be gone very, very soon. Make sure you get in today. If you don't have Instagram, sign up for Instagram. Follow Packernet Podcast on Instagram. When we cross that 300 threshold, we're going to pick a random follower, and they will be able to pick from one of three signed Green Bay Packers jerseys. Sound good? All right, let's get back to it then. First of all, it should probably be noted that the last time the Green Bay Packers played the Oakland Raiders, Packers won. In fact, the Packers have won the last seven um, matchups against the Raiders going all all the way back to 1990. The last time that the Raiders beat the Packers was in 1987. And actually, they uh, had won that series 5 to nothing prior to that. From 1972 to 1987, it was all Raiders. Since then, 1990 on, the Packers have not lost to the Oakland Raiders. In fact, only one time the Raiders got over 20 points against the Packers, and that was in 1999. Rich Gannon was 16 of 31 for 227 yards. Good old Richie Gannon. Brett Favre, pretty standard day, 28 of 47 for 333 yards, four touchdowns, three picks. So, you know, classic. (laughs) Good old Brett. 75 pass attempts for 598 yards, seven touchdowns, and six interceptions. Brett Favre has another great day. Ran the ball four times for five yards. (laughs) Oh, man. Those were the days. Anyways, one of the things that I used to do last year that I haven't done this year is start to look at some of the correlations between when a team wins and when a team loses. And the reason I haven't done it is because it doesn't mean much when it's only been one game or two games or whatever. But when you got five games under your belt, let's give it a shot. Because usually you get a feel for essentially when a team wins and when a team loses. Usually turnovers is kind of the biggest correlation. For the Raiders, however, that isn't the case. When their offense turned over the ball twice, they're 1-1. One and one. When their offense turned over the ball once, they're 1-1. One and one. When the offense didn't turn over the ball, they won the game because that happened once and they won. Now, there is a bit of a correlation on the defensive side because when the defense got two turnovers, they're 2-0. and oh. But beyond that, there isn't much of a correlation because under two turnovers, they're uh, 1-2. and two. Again, it's, it's kind of hard to tell when it's just five, but it's not as... You know, a lot of times you'll see when you sort it by turnovers, it's all the wins at the top and then a bunch of losses at the bottom. That isn't the case. It's win-win, loss-loss, win. Right, they beat the Denver Broncos um, having not turned over the ball but also not getting any picks. Another way that we can look at this, again, small sample size, but we'll say it anyways, when they've won or tied the turnover battle, they're 2-0. and When they've lost the turnover battle, they're 0-2. So I guess that, that is a fairly strong correlation so it's it's the, the turnover battle wins and losses kind of they're three and oh when they win it oh and two when they lose it beyond that though one of the cool things about when you do this is there tends to be a line in terms of scoring above this line the team wins below this line the team loses because again it's not as defined when you don't have as many games 
But the games that they won, the offense scored 24, 24, and 31 points. The games they lost, the team scored 14 and 10. Now, it's essentially the same on the other side, but the games in which they lost, the opposing team scored 28 and 34. The games that they won, opposing teams scored 24 or less. So what is the correlation? It's so funny how this works. It's, it's really weird because it doesn't have to be this way. It could clearly be something else, but it always goes this way. The magic number here is 24. 24 is the magic number. When opposing teams score 24 or less, the Raiders are 3-0. and When the Raiders score 24 or more, they're 3-0. and 24 is the magic number. So the goal is sort of simultaneously keep them under 24 or score more than 24 because either of those things tend to correlate with a Raiders loss. Now, if it happens that, you know, both things happen where they score over 24, we score over 24, then we'll kind of find out where the new line is for them. But just keep in mind as you're watching this game, 24 is the magic number. If the Packers run up the score quick in the first half, let's say they've got about 17 points, just remember they really need one more touchdown. Actually, that's not true. They need to go over 24. Also, we really need to keep the um, the, the defense needs to keep them, similar to what we did to the Lions. If they're going to score, keep them to field goals because it's hard to get to 24 points with field goals. There also is a correlation in terms of their total offense, and that number is around 350 yards. Um, anything over 350 yards, the uh, Oakland Raiders are 3-0. Under 350, they're 0-2. Conversely, on the defensive side of things, that 350 mark also tends to hold kind of true with the defensive side of things. In other words, the Oakland Raiders defense, i.e. our offense. When they have held teams to under 350 total yards, they're 3-0. and When teams have gone over 350 yards, they're 0-2. So the two numbers we got to keep in mind. Number one, well, first of all, win the turnover battle. Number two, remember, 24 points. Keep them under 24 points, score over 24 points. In terms of yardage, keep them under 350, go over 350. These are just sort of mile markers to give you an indication of where this game is headed. The score at halftime kind of means something, but always kind of keep the end goal in mind. If they're winning 10-3, to that stinks. But we're talking about 24. Somebody's probably getting over 24, and whoever that is is going to win this game. Now, how do those numbers kind of match up with what the Packers have done? Now, obviously, there's no correlation with the Packers because they just, they've won almost all their games. The the biggest thing really for the Packers is just keep the Raiders under 30 and they've got a good chance of winning. But in terms of their ability to meet those mile markers, they're 3-3 and right now as far as that 24 mark. We were under 23 with the Lions, the Vikings, and the Bears. They were, or they were under 24. They were over 24 three times against the Broncos, Eagles, and Cowboys. As far as keeping teams under 24, the Dallas Cowboys got exactly 24. The Lions, Broncos, Vikings, and Bears all scored under. The Eagles scored, um, obviously, over at 34 points. So I, I tend to think the biggest thing here, especially with the wide receiver situation, is for the defense to really step up in a big way, keep the Oakland Raiders under 24 points. In fact, again, our average is about 19. If we can keep them over, under 20, which we've done half the time, The Lions, Cowboys, and Eagles were over 20. The Broncos, Vikings, and Bears were under 20. 16, 16, and 3. But let's just stick with the 24. If we can keep them under the 24, we got a good shot. And again, I think that the defense is more equipped to do what needs to be done than the offense is. Although, if we can do both, that would be fantastic. I'm not not worried about a 27-16 game. That would not bother me very much. Um, Again, looking at the 350 yards... Um, the offense has only done that twice. Now, they went 
big time over with 447 yards and 491 yards. However, the other four games, 335, 335, 312, 213. So again, the offense not super up to snuff on that one. On the flip side, however, again, the defense has given up massive yardage to the Dallas Cowboys, 563 yards. Also, the Vikings, 421, but four other games under 350. The Eagles, 336. Broncos, 310. Lions, 299. Bears, 254. So, again, the, the Bears are more equipped, or excuse me, the, uh, the defense is more equipped, seemingly, to do to the Raiders what needs to be done. And as far as the turnovers, I mean, it really is going to be, again, kind of on the – it really is just a matter of the defense needs to win it, the offense needs to not give it away. And by give it away, I mean just not play terribly, don't give the ball up. Because in three games, the offense hasn't given up the ball at all, and that's pretty standard for the Packers. However, against the Eagles, they give up the ball twice. Against the Vikings, they give up the ball twice. Against the Lions, they give up the ball three times. That's got to stop. Fortunately, against the Vikings, we had four takeaways, so we won that turnover battle. We also had, in these games in which we had three um, non-turnovers, we had three turnovers, three turnovers, and one turnover. So we've won the turnover battle four out of six times. So those are the big components. You know, win the turnover battle, so the defense needs to not only stop some people, but at least generate enough turnovers to win the battle. The offense needs to not give the ball away. The biggest fear I have, number one, I mean, it's Aaron Jones. I don't know what's going on with him. Because Matt LaFleur specifically said we're working very hard on protecting the ball because they're punching it out, punching it out, punching it out. The guy didn't even punch it out. He just kind of grabbed his arm, which happened to be where the ball was, and very easily ripped it out. He was not securing that very well. Come on, man. But obviously the the bigger issue is these wide receivers not getting their hands on these balls securely, the ball popping up and getting picked that way. Anyways, let's take a a quick break, and then I want to look more specifically at player matchups and kind of winning those kinds of battles. I talked about it a little bit yesterday, but let's, let's clarify one more time. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. 
Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. I want to add one final update coming out of this break. Um, because of how much stuff I've taken on, it, it kind of, this happens once in a while where it just gets to be a little bit too much. I, I can't stop. And as long as I have a job and um, a family and everything, sometimes it just gets to be too much and I'm spread too thin. And what ends up happening is I end up doing too little of the things that I commit to and that's it, not a good thing. As a result, um, I decided to cancel a few projects and one of the things that I gave up, uh, which was incredibly painful, was NFL Big Board. Now, I'm going to keep up that Big Board for myself and also my patrons. I'll be posting just the Excel spreadsheet and the results of that um, for them, as well as in the Pack Daddy Premium group. I'll be sure to keep you guys updated on all that stuff. Um, but the site itself, it's just, it's got to come down. It's, um, it's an expense. It's not making any money. Not that that was really the intention, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, why are we spending money? It's not an investment. Um, it doesn't have as much interest as I expected it to. Uh, it's, it's a big resource for me. And since I'm the one that seems to like it the most, I'm just going to keep it for myself. And again, if anybody wants it, you can find it on uh, my Patreon. I'll be up to updating it there. The reason I was reminded of that is I see PFF has their mid-season um, 2020 NFL draft guide, and I am so excited to go through this in just about a minute here. You've got their new board with 75 guys. Super pumped. Super pumped. So as I'm looking at this game, I, I, I tend to think the easiest route um, is going to be to... And maybe I should talk about... Let, we'll get to the injury. Ah, dang it. Well, Devontae's out. Geronimo's um, doubtful. Tanyan is doubtful. Marquez is questionable, which is actually really, really good. He went from did not practice on Thursday to limited participation on Friday. I kind of think he's going to play, which could be really, really huge. And not just because he's going to be our best receiver on the field, but here, here's what I'm thinking. Um... The easiest path here is going to be to run the ball. And I think the Raiders know that, and I think the Raiders are going to load up on that. They're not going to want to let that happen. I sort of wonder if the Packers come out with a similar mentality of the Detroit Lions saying, we do want to run the ball kind of a lot, but knowing the Raiders are going to come out and stack up the box and dare us to throw the ball, I kind of wonder our ability maybe to come out early and go deep to Marquez. Come out early and go deep, but you you have a hard time doing that with Kumaro, and Shep has got a little bit of speed, but not much. I, Marquez is the guy. So if you're able to get somewhat of a deep, even you know, even if it's only, I'm not talking 50 yards. It doesn't have to be Detroit Lions flea flicker for 55 yards or whatever. Even if we we run a play action pass for 12 yards as as a first play. It's going to give the Raiders pause because they're looking at this because they want that. That's their identity. They want the Packers to come out and try to run the ball and play physical football because that is what the Raiders and John Gruden want to do. And part of that isn't really a good thing. And I do think we need to run the ball um, strong and consistently. But we also want to be able to back them off and, and show them early on that as much as you might think that you've got us beat because we're going to run the ball and we're scared to throw it, we're not scared to throw it. Your corners are kind of trash. Your linebackers are super trash. So we are going to be throwing to our tight ends. We are going to have guys every single where. But we're also going to run the ball a lot. And I kind of wonder if we're going to get back to what we saw early against the Chicago Bears where we're going to load up in, in 21 personnel or 12 personnel. In other words, either two running backs or two tight ends. Show some of these heavy looks. 
and run kind of the identity of this offense, which is to, you know, put the tight end in motion. Sometimes you run the ball, sometimes you pass the ball, but you you give the offense the same look almost over and over and over and over again. But there's a billion different things we can do from that. Not just just run or pass, but if we're going to run, which way? Or if we're going to pass, who's going out, who's staying in, who's going where, who's doing what? But again, still a heavy dose of run. And I think Jamal Williams kind of fits that mold because we're going to try to get the ball off quick. And rather than getting fancy and trying to go laterally, let's just smash it up their throats. The Oakland Raiders' defensive front against the run is not good. They don't have a single player on the interior as well as their edge defenders that has a quote-unquote good grade. The best one they have is Corey Legit, And I'm not sure how much, if at all, he's going to be playing because he's not their primary guy. Maurice Hurst and Jonathan Hankins and P.J. Hall, these are their primary uh, defenders along the defensive line. They're not very good, especially Maurice Hurst, who I think they like because he's a decent enough pass rusher, but he's a smaller guy and he's pretty weak against the run. And this is where we can kind of get a guy like Corey Lindsley going, get a guy like Billy Turner going. These are bigger, stronger guys. I know they're athletic, but let's go into this and say, look, I know we want athleticism and all this kind of stuff. Let's just go up and dominate these guys. Let's do some road grading. There's not an offensive lineman in the world that doesn't want to hear that. As much as they get pushed around all day long and essentially play defense in a weird way, they will occasionally want to go on offense. And and running the ball is the offensive line going on offense. Passing the ball, the offensive line is on defense. These guys want to attack. They want to knock somebody over. As far as their edge defenders, their ability to stop the run is is nil. Cleland Furl has been terrible against the run. He's been terrible at everything. Arden Key, who I don't even know if he's going to be playing, uh, kind of a bust of a pick. He was for a while going to be the number one overall guy, super athletic, and just completely fell off. He's really he's probably their best run defending edge rusher, but he's so bad against the as a pass rusher, he's he's underutilized. Not under, he's just he's utilized less than just about everyone. So I mean it's just it's not a good group. It just isn't. Now the linebackers are relatively talented. Uh, Morrow and Whitehead are decent against the run. Um, but they're all really bad in coverage, so that's where you get them to back off a little bit. If they start creeping up, if they start attacking the lanes and doing what essentially the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys and guys like that started, well, not the Cowboys so much, but the, the Bears and the Eagles, who were very successful against the Packers' run defense, they essentially started running through the run lanes. Play-action pass can absolutely decimate that because as they're overly aggressive, we attack them over their head. So it becomes a game of just whatever they're doing, we react to it. If they're being aggressive, we throw the ball. We run a lot of play action. We go right over their head with guys like Mercedes Lewis, Jimmy Graham, whoever's in tight. Could even use the running backs. As we run play action, they go sprinting out to the side. You give it to Aaron Jones, and then all of a sudden you got uh, Whitehead in pursuit of Aaron Jones. He's not going to get there, especially since he's crashing on the offensive line. He's going to get stuck behind these these guys. So, you know, we're, we're not good enough to play Mike McCarthy football, which is to say we're just going to line up and beat you and do whatever we want to do. However, the, the Raiders are bad enough that when they commit to something, you do the opposite thing, they can't compensate. In other words, if they're playing the run and we throw the ball, they're not good enough to compensate for that. Find out what they're doing, attack the other thing. And essentially, we're playing keep away. You go left, we go right. You go right, we go left. You go up, we go down. And all the while, we're going to keep them honest by gashing them up the middle. And if it is soft, I want Aaron Jones in there. In other words, if they're having a really hard time sealing up these gaps, I want Aaron Jones because I need somebody that can capitalize on that. If there's, the, if there's, if there's lanes and places to run and they're really struggling, I want a guy that's going to rip off 20, 30-yard runs. 
if it's really tight and congested and we just want to keep them honest, put in Jamal. Both of them can pass block. But if they're really selling out and are successful against the run, I'm going to put in Jamal because he's going to fall forward and get us three yards even when there's nothing there. And we're going to pass the ball a lot. And we're just going to hurt them through the air. Legitimately, they, ju- they just don't have very much. And I'm going to want to work the middle of the field. And occasionally, if at all possible, I'm, I'm going to use Marquez, if for nothing else, to keep the safeties back. And if I ever see that safety creep up, Aaron Rodgers and Marquez need to just launch it up. Just again to keep them honest. Because if they're going to dare you, if we're going single high and we're going to creep Joseph, our, our strong safety, down into the box, then I'm going to attack both halves of these fi- this field. I'm going to have Jimmy Graham or something come from the right side, cross the free safety's face, and make him choose. Are you going to sprint over and try to stop a deep pass to, to Marquez? Or are you going to give Jimmy Graham a free run to the other side of the field? Because the linebackers are crashing down. Your safety is not playing. You're the lone strong guy or free guy, right? I'm, I'm going to hurt you if you do that. And that, again, is why it's so important that Marquez is there and why we need that really just tall, fast guy. Because if you're going to mess around and leave single high safety, we, we have to be able to hurt you. And without Marquez, I don't think we can hurt you. I don't think Kumaro or Shepard or Jimmy Graham or any of these guys are really, really going to be able to stress a single high safety. Now, looking very quickly at the other side of this equation, the Packers are a much better team on defense than the Raiders are. So it's not going to be a simple matter of, well, it doesn't matter, just do whatever. Um, the biggest news is that Trent Brown apparently is, is doubtful for this game. Also, by the way, Arden Key and Tyrell Williams are out. I knew about Tyrell. I wasn't sure about Arden Key. Not a big loss for either side of the... I mean, it is bad for the Raiders because Arden Key is about as bad as everybody else. So it's just one less contributor, I guess. So we're down to only three not good players. And I, I, I shouldn't say that because I've, I've already highlighted yesterday guys that are having some success getting after the quarterback. And I want to minimize it too much. But um, Trent Brown is a big one. They paid a ton of money for Trent Brown. Him not being in this game. Right now, Colton Miller is going to be their left tackle. He's given up more pressures and sacks than anybody else on this team. So there's a lot of real big opportunities on that side. Now they've got David Sharp on the other side of the equation. Instead of Trent Brown, who they paid massive. I think he's the highest paid tackle in football right now. Not that that necessarily translates to good play, but he's been pretty solid. As I said, also a very, very good run blocker. This is going to hurt their ability to run the ball, especially to the outside. So watch for these pass rushers. Watch for the Smith brothers to get active because um, the Packers are going to need to be able to generate some kind of pressure, and that's hard to do against the Raiders because they've built it into their system to get the ball out quickly. Run the ball, get the ball out quick. Now that also plays a little bit into the Packers' hands. The Packers want you to play that style. I mean, as much as we want you to drop back and sit in the pocket so we have some opportunities, they, we've been having a lot of problems with big plays. And so if you aren't even going to try to take a shot down the field, if you aren't even going to try to stress our safeties when we're down a guy, if you're simply going to try to play it all close to the line of scrimmage, that makes it harder for you to get first downs because it, it, it's a matter of, what, you, you want to get on average four yards a play to, to get a first down? But that doesn't even factor in incompletions. That that just gives opportunities for our defense, and that's again, that's all our defense wants. If you want to run the ball, maybe you're going to have success on first down and get six or whatever. But then you get stuffed for a loss, and, and now it's a question of if, if you're in third and long or third and, and, and manageable, I guess the term would be, five yards-ish, suddenly you've got to push the ball a little bit. And I think the Packers are going to want that a little. They're going to want to try to set up third and long, third and, and, and mediocre, so that they've got a drop in the pocket and the Smith brothers have the opportunity to tee off on these tackles. Now, I think the biggest problem is going to be the interior because they've got Jackson Hudson and Incognito, and these are really big, strong guys. 
Um, we've been having a lot of problems with tackling up the middle. Martinez is having a real bad year so far trying to uh, be able to stop the run. Kenny Clark is really having a hard time. It was a very good effort last week, and we need to see that again. That was huge, having guys like Dean step up. We're going to need more of that effort because that's going to, that that's really going to blow this whole thing open because if they can't run the ball and they're simply going to try to dink and dunk to their one receiver who is their tight end Waller, that's just not enough to win a football game. You just don't win football games that way. And again, if we look back at the 24 points, you're going to score 24 points, throw into your tight end five yards down the field. Again, I think his intended air yards are a little over five yards. The, the intermediate middle portion of the field is where um, they're throwing most of their passes. It's where Carr is having most of his success, and Waller's the guy catching those passes. It's behind the line of scrimmage, right behind the linebackers, right in the middle of the field, about you know seven, eight yards down the field. That's their one thing. So the things that are going to be hard to stop are them running between the center and guard, Right, kind of running up the gut and defending Waller. But this is the most manageable team we've gone up against. I know we've got some struggles with injuries, but this is about as manageable as it gets. They don't have good tackles to stop our pass rush. They don't have any good wide receivers. They've got a, a handful of good interior offensive linemen, a tight end who is a nobody that had a, a several good weeks, with the exception of last week, by the way, which the Chicago Bears kind of, sh- I, I won't say shut him down, but he had by far his worst day. So if nothing else, the Packers have a blueprint for what to do about Waller. Not that you want to follow the Bears' blueprint entirely, but defensively they did some good stuff. And then finally, the one thing you don't want, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if I'm the Oakland Raiders, to do something similar to what I said the Packers should do, and that is the Packers are going to load up close because that's what we know that the Raiders like to do, and they're going to take Trevor Davis, run him straight down the field, and see what he can do. Again, I don't think that's a long-term strategy that's going to hold up, similar to what happened with the Lions. Yes, you're going to have success doing it. It might even be two time, two drives in a row, but that's not a long-term strategy. We're going to throw it up to Davis 50 yards down the field every single drive. But it is something to watch out for. They do have speed on the outside now with Trevor Davis, although we have plenty of speed with... It's crazy to think that the matchup may be Jair Alexander on Trevor Davis. It's probably not. It's probably going to be Zay Jones. But it just... That's crazy to me. And I'll tell you right now, if, if Kevin King gets beat by Trevor Davis, I'm, I'm done, man. You just don't listen to that episode if you're a Kevin King fan. If he gets beat by Trevor Davis, I don't want to hear a single word about he should have had safety help, nothing. Kevin King... If he is as good as everybody says he is, had better lock Trevor Davis down as though he never set foot on the field. Trevor Davis had Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback and could not do a single thing. Zero excuses. By the way, PFF grade, they're almost exactly even, Trevor Davis and Kevin King. Trevor Davis, 51-6. Kevin King, 52-6. I'm just saying. Better lock it down. But... Anyways, that's going to be it for today. Uh, You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I am going to work on the stock market game. Um... I may actually be handing that off. So just make sure you're in the Facebook group so you can get all the announcements and messages um, because, again, I'm giving you some a, a short time limit here. But um, if you want to participate in that, which is buying and selling shares of Green Bay Packers, it's a lot of fun. Start with 1000 bucks. You buy shares of Green Bay Packers. If they have a good day, you made money. If they have a bad day, you lost money. It's I don't know why you wouldn't want to play. It's a fun game. It doesn't cost you any real money. It's free. Just a game I made up, and we're playing for fun. So uh, anyways, get in the Facebook group. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.